passage to us. This is Jesus addressing his closest of friends and companions in the upper room just prior to their journey down into the Kidron Valley and into Gethsemane. And so you know this is the night of his betrayal. Actually, if we took the time to read the gospel narrative, John gives one-third of his gospel to the conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples on that night. And it would, if your life, if you knew that tomorrow you would step into eternity, you would call your loved ones, and you would talk with them, and you would invest in them things that you would want them to hear to help them through the trauma that they were about to face. And in this passage here, the 31st verse, Jesus says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, a cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And so I was been, I've been reflecting on this passage of Scripture over the course of this week, and I had these thoughts that came to my mind I want to talk to you about. Peter's trial, Jesus' prayer, and a perpetual promise. And I want you to just kind of tuck that into your spirit. Peter's trial, Jesus' prayer, but there's something attached to it, a perpetual promise. And let's pray. Father, we love you. And we're humbled by your presence here today. And I'm humbled by the men and the women that have gathered in this house. And they've come here today because their steps were ordered of God. And for some reason, in your sovereign will, you have, Father, moved the men and women to rise up early enough to be able to get in their vehicles and journey to this house. That they might participate in the worship service that we have already began to participate in. And Father, and I believe that you were glorified by our songs and you were glorified through our praises and your ear was very attentive to the prayer made in this house. But now, Father, in the name of Jesus, our attention is drawn to the word of God. Father, how we marvel at thy word today. God, we thank you that you still speak to men. Come on, somebody, you still speak to us. Men and women, Father, we can hear your voice through the word of God. And though we're reading a familiar passage, and we know that this text has been read countless times by believers all over the world for 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit will make it relevant in our lives today. And God, we thank you for it, God. Remind us today that it's Peter's trial, it's Jesus' prayer, but there's a perpetual promise, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. This passage of Scripture, again, let's, for the sake of time, we're not going to go back and try to regather all the information, and we're not going to transition it into fully the Gethsemane experience. I'm kind of preserving that for next week, if at all possible. However, this passage of Scripture, again, is the night of Jesus' betrayal. Perhaps even uh, in the next few moments or right in this time frame, 
Judas of Iscariot will reach his hand out into the sop, dip it at the same time as Jesus to confirm the prophetic word that one of the disciples would betray him. John said Satan had entered into Judas of Iscariot. He rose up quickly. So there's a lot going on in the life of Jesus. Jesus' disciples have begun to feel the tension begin to mount. Crowds had followed him into Jerusalem, the great triumphal entry just several days earlier. They expected Jesus to be a part of a revolt. They expected Jesus to actually initiate a revolution. There's a messianic mindset, not just in a few of Jesus' disciples, but to be honest, in all of his disciples. We know that one of his disciples is called Simon the Zealot. We're more familiar with Simon Peter. Simon the Zealot potentially came from a group of people that were prepared to actually engage in warfare against the Romans. But all of these men had an expectation that Jesus, the son of David, if he could open blind eyes, if he could unstop deaf ears, if he could walk on the water, if he could raise the dead, then surely he could raise up an army that would overthrow Rome and their occupation of Jerusalem and restore the nation of Israel and not only restore it but extend it farther than it's ever been in its history. That is something that cannot be overlooked in this text. That thought is pervasive in all of their hearts and minds. Matter of fact, if you read in this passage or even just earlier, they're still whispering among themselves about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going, what do you mean by that? Remember the passage of Scripture about David when David was getting ready to take the city of Jerusalem? He said this. He said, whoever can go up and take the city first, he said, that's going to be the chief of the captain. Joab took the city and became David's captain over his army. So there's this whispering even amongst themselves, even at this last hour, who's going to take the second seed, the place of authority alongside of Jesus. But you have to understand, church family, they're thinking one thing, but Jesus is thinking something else. And I don't know about you, I've found myself in that plight many times where I was determining and I had an expectation that God was going this direction only to discover, much to my dismay, that God was going this direction. And I'm telling you, that's a vulnerable place to be because born of that disappointment is a moment when the adversary can come in. And it's at this moment Jesus is anticipating this and he targets and he specifically speaks to Simon. But I want you to see something in this text for just a moment. That Jesus is speaking not simply just to Simon, but he's also speaking of all the disciples. He speaks to them directly. And the Lord said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. King James English. If we can look at this in greater depth just a little bit, we understand that in the King James, the Old English, the word you is plural. The thee, the thy, the thine is singular. So if you read it with that revelation, then it gives you that the enemy is after the group as well. He's come to sift, but he's also and perhaps specifically targeting Simon. But he may not be the only one specifically targeting Simon, but Jesus is specifically targeting Simon. Now here's what this means when he said the enemy, your adversary, is desiring to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. 
The word sift there in the original language is a sieve, or sieve and it simply means as you think and what you know what that is. It, but, but its application in the scripture is it's an inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. And so this is what Jesus is warning his disciples of, that the enemy is coming with an attack on your life, with an inward agitation to the degree he's not just trying to steal from you. He's not just coming to try to alter your course, but he's trying to put you in a plight that becomes so difficult and so trying, so overwhelming that you lose your faith, that you give up, that you go the complete opposite direction. But I love this passage here because Jesus said, he said, but I have prayed for you. Man, I'll tell you, that's been all over me this week. I've been thinking about this. And so in this moment of time, Jesus knows what's about to take place. He knows that there's going to be a system. I believe that the enemy has a systematic plan of attack against God's people. I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. We understand that there is an order to his attack and his warfare. We know that there's an entire world in a dimension where demonic spirits have a, a, an all-out assault against our attack. So we're aware of that. We're aware of Satan's devices. And Jesus is discerning that in these men's sorrows and in their disappointment for not Jesus not fulfilling their expectation that the enemy's going to come in and he's going to bring about such doubt, such confusion, such strife that they're going to not only be frustrated, they could reach the place where they cast their hands in the air and walk and go the other way. And I'm telling you, that speaks to my life today because I know people under the sound of my voice that you're teetering right now, that you're going through something right now, going through such a challenging season. The problem is, is you're not seeing into the spirit world. But that's why I came along today to help you, that you're not just facing natural challenges. You're not just going through. These things aren't the work of men. These are the, this is the work of the devil. There is a systematic attack on your life. And if you're not careful, the enemy will come in. And not only will he sift you as wheat, but he'll tilt you so far that in your sorrow and frustration against God, you can find yourself being hardened to the degree that you walk away from God. And that's what's hanging in the balance at this moment. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. He didn't say, I am praying for you. He didn't say that in your darkest hour, I will pray for you. What Jesus said, what this means is, uh, at some point in time in the days past, uh, you know Jesus was prone to go into a solitary place and pray. There were times that he would send them. I know he was a healer, a wonder worker, and a miracle worker. I know he could turn water into wine and raise the dead. But there were times he sent the crowd away, the multitude away. He didn't expose the hem of his garment to another person to get hold of, but he just got alone with God, and he rested in the Lord's presence. Sometimes it was on a high mountain. Later that night, it would be in a garden called Gethsemane. But I just thank God that he taught us the example and the practice of private communion with God. Let me tell you, if you are so spiritual that you don't have time for prayer or don't need to make time for prayer, then your spirituality has superseded that of Christ because Christ could not live a day on this planet without getting alone with, without getting alone with God. And in the Lord's presence, 
while he's in his presence getting prepared at some time in the days preceding this text, the Spirit of God quickened Simon, Peter, and his other disciples, but especially Simon. I'm telling you, I want you to think about that with me today. I want you to think about that. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that Jesus calls my name in the presence of his Father. You say, Pastor Brown, what makes you believe that? Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he ever lives to make intercession for you and I. I'm telling you what a comforting word it is for you and I here today to know that we are going through trying times. If I can say one thing about this text, if I can say one thing that we have got to grasp in our modern, contemporary, Pentecostal world, and that is Jesus never promised us that we would be without trial and travail. He never promised us that, e- that everything was going to be so rosy that when you come into my kingdom, you're never going to fight against depression or you're never going to have that drug addiction trying to come back into your life or you're never going to have a child walk away from you or somebody that you love that you used to, that lo- used to love you and now they no longer love you. Jesus never promised you that you would see those days without those trials. But let me tell you what he did promise you. He promised you that in this world you're going to have tribulation. There are going to be ups and downs, highs and lows. And just because you're holy and just because God is working in your life doesn't mean that the enemy is not trying to get a stronghold in you. But he promised you that if you would trust in him, he would bring you through the trial. He would keep you and he would preserve you. Come on. And the Bible says that Jesus said that in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. My God, thank God for Jesus today. The apostle Peter would later write in his epistle, he said he left us an example for us. He taught us how to live. He taught us how to relate. He's going to teach us how to pray later, not today, but in this very text. And he tells Simon Peter, he says, Peter... He said, I'm making, he said, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. And look what he prayed. He didn't pray that God would deliver him from the child. I think that's one of the perplexities of our Pentecostal faith. What is that? Well, we believe in deliverance. We believe in healing. We believe in miracles. What do you do when you believe in it, but it hadn't came? Come on now. What do you do when you're trusting for it and you're waiting on it and it hasn't arrived yet? I'm telling you, yeah, you don't change your position. You hold fast to your profession, right? Come on, somebody. But at the same time, you've got to realize that just because deliverance hasn't come doesn't mean that God's not working in your life and God's got a divine purpose through the plight that you're in right now. That's what I want you to hear me today. Just, and I know God doesn't tempt any man with evil. I understand that. I recognize that. That's according to the Word of God. But I'm telling you, God loves you enough to allow you to even be in situations where the adversary has the potential to get a stronghold in you. Because only in that, those moments can your faith be proven. Because that's what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus said to Peter, he said, I'm not going to pray. And he said, I didn't pray that God would deliver you out of this moment. He said, but here's how I prayed for you, that your faith would not fail. 
I love that, oh my God, I could run across this platform. That's your faith. You know how I have learned? When I first got into ministry and I prayed about my church family, and you know, I was, I was, I'm zealous of the healing covenant. Thank God for healing covenant. I'm zealous of deliverance. I thank God for deliverance. And I, that was all my prayer. I pray, God, let the sick be healed and let, the, let people that are oppressed and all those things. But now I have matured in my faith just a little bit. You know how I pray for you now? I pray. I'm not saying that I don't profess healing and I don't profess deliverance. I do. But you know what? I pray for you that your faith will not fail. That if the answer doesn't come in the morning and if things don't change and you don't get the job that you wanted or your child doesn't speak to you again for the next six months, uh, that your faith will not fail. Or when that spouse walks away from you or somebody cuts you so hard that it it drives you to tears, uh, that your faith will not fail. Or when the doctor comes out of the other room and he reads you a report that you never wanted to hear, my prayer for you, sir, my prayer for you, ma'am, is that your faith will not fail. Oh, I feel Jesus on that today, don't you? I believe uh, that we can overcome as he overcame because he's praying for us. If he prayed for Peter, he prayed for you. He prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And look at this. Jesus then told Peter, he said, Peter, he said, not only have I prayed that your faith would not fail, But he said, but when you have come back around, the word converted there means returned. Man, I could feel the Holy Spirit on that. What that means is Jesus knew what was about to take place. We're going to talk about that in just a few short moments. He knew where Simon Peter was going to end up. He knew how the night was going to unfold. Simon Peter had no idea about what was about to take place. But Jesus did. And Jesus knew that not only would he stumble, but he would fall. Not only would he kind of hide in the shadows, but before the night was out, he would deny that he ever even knew Jesus. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Peter. And when you get through that moment... The grace of God's going to come so strong back in your life, you're going to be converted. You're going to be brought back again. And he said, and when you're brought back again, I'm not going to bring you back to just sit in the corner feeling like you were yesterday's news and that you were the one that could have been but weren't, and now you're second class in the kingdom of God. Actually, Peter, I'm going to bring you back again and put you right in a place of prominence, and I'm going to expect you to lift your, vo- to lift your voice up and be an encourager to the rest of your brethren. Man, that's good right there. And Simon Peter, man, he's hearing all this in the text. And Simon Peter, again, with his carnal mind, the 33rd verse, he's like, Jesus, I'm glad you prayed for me, but man, I'm ready to die for you right now. I'll go with you wherever you're going. I'll go to prison for you. I'll sit beside you in Herod's jail, Herod's prison system, if that's what God calls me to do. And if I need to, I'll lay my life down. And Jesus then warned him right there, spoke a prophetic word that within just the next 8 to 12 hours would come to pass. He said, Simon, this sifting is so strong by the adversary in your life. He said, before the night is over, before the cock can crow, you're going to deny that you even knew me. I'm telling you, church family, we underestimate the enemy's ability in our lives to get a stronghold within us that will alter us and cause us to do things that we would not necessarily do. Does that make sense right there? So this night unfolds, 
As we have uh, many times read this passage of Scripture, this warning then, again, is even to Jesus, his other disciples. In a moment of time, there's a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a warfare stirring in their hearts because Jesus is using an allegory, and he says, he said, you know, if you don't have a sword, go buy a sword. That's what some of them have been waiting on. All of a sudden, they draw out right there in the upper room. They didn't even know it under their cloak. Here it was, whoosh, one sword, two swords. Jesus said, it is enough. That's enough right there. They put them back in their, underneath their cloak. You know what takes place. The Scripture tells us that they left this place, and they crossed the Kidron Valley, and they went into a garden called Gethsemane. And there we'll talk about that next week of what took place. I tell you, I marvel at Jesus in this moment, though. Because here Jesus is telling Peter, I prayed for you. When he's a, and, he's, and he's warning Peter of his travail and the attack of the enemy in his life when Jesus himself is about to face the greatest battle that he would ever face. And really, to be honest, the greatest battle that had been fought since Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden called Eden. And it's a powerful picture, and we have to just kind of fold it and close it. But you know that in that moment of time, in their agitation, and in that moment when Judas of Iscariot leads a band of soldiers after he's betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest, and he's acting like he doesn't know that he's being followed. And so he comes to Jesus and he kisses him. And when he kisses him, out of the shadows pops forth the Roman soldiers with swords and staves in their hand to take Jesus. And that's that famous passage when he turns to Judas. Jesus does and says, uh, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And, they, and in that moment of time, there is a frantic moment right there where a reaction, a natural physical reaction takes place. And Peter draws the sword. This is it. This is their moment. Jesus is thinking one thing. Peter's thinking something else. But this is their moment. They're going to start the, the, the revolution that's going to, when the day's out, Peter's thinking, this is our moment. We're going to soon take the city of Jerusalem. We'll drive every Roman out of the city, every pagan, every Gentile out of the city, and we'll create a Zionist state the way it was in the days of King David. And he takes his sword, he draws it, and he tries to cut the head off of the servant of the high priest. But his, short, his sword misses the, the, the fullness of his head, and it just catches the ear and leaves the ear hanging, dangling right there on the side of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus said right then, it's a powerful, I'm telling you, that's when you have to catch it. That's when our vulnerability begins to take place. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Our vulnerability takes place because in that moment, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, put away thy sword. He said, he that liveth by the sword shall die by the sword. And much to Peter's dismay, he reaches his hand over and puts it in the bloody pulp of where the ear used to be and blood flowing down his head and he heals the ear. And when that takes place, what we're not reading in Scripture unless we think about it long enough, a transition begins to take place in the minds of all of Jesus' disciples. And they realize at that moment, this thing is going a completely different direction. We're trying to go this way, and God is going this way. And they are disappointed in Jesus. And they back away, because they knew this was the one. 
You say, Pastor Brown, are you so sure of this? Read the Gospel of Luke. And even after his resurrection, when they're walking down the Emmaus Road, and Jesus is resurrected, and he's talking with them, and they don't know who he is. Remember what they said to him? They said, we supposed. We supposed that this is he that would deliver Israel. That was in their heart and mind. And I'm telling you, the vulnerable place that you can find yourself in is when you have an expectation of what God should do in your life and God doesn't do that in your life. At that moment, that's when the enemy can come in and get a hold of you to the degree that he can sift you and agitate you internally till you reach that place of not only frustration, but exasperation. And when you reach that place of exasperation, sometimes you can walk away shaking your head and saying, I tried God, and it did not work. And when you find yourself in that position, let me tell you, that's when you know the enemy. The enemy has done his work. But I came along to tell you today, Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus has prayed for you. What did he pray for you? The same prayer that he prayed for Simon Peter, that your faith would not fail. I love to read that story. Time won't allow us to read it here today. But you know the story of of Peter's denial when the Bible says that they took Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. And I don't know what time it is, but I just got to preach. It's in my heart, so I'm going to just go ahead and preach. All right, church family? And so he's following from afar. And so in that moment of time, he's going to see this thing. One gospel writer said he's going to see it to the very end. He's going to wait and see what befalls this man Jesus that he's walked with for three and a half years. He's committed his life to, and now he's ultimately failed him and disappointed him because he was not who he thought he was. But he loves him enough to stand back from afar and see what's taking place. But he got a little too close because when he got a little too close, A young girl serving in the court of the high priest said, wait a minute, you're one of them. I recognize you. He said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I do not know the man. Then the Bible says, another one said, wait a minute. A little bit later, the Bible says they got a fire. must have been cold that night. They're warming themselves by the fire. You know, Peter's probably under a cloak. He's trying to disguise himself. He's trying not to be seen. He's just wanting to see what happens to Jesus, to see the very end. Someone else then comes and says, wait a minute, I've seen you. You're one of those. You're with him. Now, what you have to remember, this trial is taking place possibly within a visible sight line of where Peter is going through his trial. Remember, there are two that are on trial that day. Jesus is on trial before Herod, but Satan is trying Peter in the courtyard. And so then the Bible says, he says, man, I don't even know the man. And then just a little bit later, a young girl heard him and heard him talk. He must have got into conversation. And when he got into conversation, have you ever, are you, uh, let me see you Southerners here. Quickly slip your hand up here real quickly. Have you ever gone up north and went into the gas station to ask for something? And they say, What part of Georgia are you from? Have you ever had that happen to you? Come on now. Well, that's what happened. He had a Galilean accent. And when he had a Galilean accent, that girl said, You are with him because your speech is betraying you. And I can recognize you're not from Jerusalem and Judah and Judea, but you are from Galilee by virtue of your accent. And at that, Peter began to curse 
and begin to swear. Come on, that's when you know the enemy is getting a stronghold inside you because it's all of a sudden now you're beginning to deny the one that your soul used to love. And you're talking different, acting different. The enemy's getting a stronghold inside you. I know not the man. And the Bible says at that moment the rooster crowed. And when the rooster crowed, the gospel writer said that Jesus, while standing there possibly bound with chains and fetters, surrounded by Roman soldiers, knowing that on the morrow he will die on the cross of Calvary, but he still watched. Oh, I feel Jesus. Thank God for Jesus today. He's still watching you in your plight. He's still watching you in your heart. He's still, he's still watching you even when you fail. Because the Bible says that Jesus just rolled over and saw Simon and made eye contact with him. And when he made eye contact with him, here's what the Bible says. He remembered, Peter remembered the word that the Lord spoke to him. You know what's going to bring that wayward son or daughter back? You know what's going to bring the ones that are in our community right now that used to be a part of our church? It's when in the midst of their addiction, in the midst of their broken lives and the divorce that they're going through and the drug addiction and the sorrow, but if they'll just remember the word that was sown in them when they were a child, when they were in JoJo's ISM youth group, or when they were in a vacation Bible school, when they remember the Word, remembered the Word, when he remembered the Word, here's what the passage says. He left out of that place, and he went to his own solitary place. And you know what he did, church family? Bible says he wept bitterly. I'm telling you, you know what that means? Let me contrast that from Judas for just a moment. Judas had remorse for his actions in betraying Jesus. He took the silver, cast it down at the feet of the men that had paid him to betray Jesus, and he went out and he hung himself. But Peter is driven to a solitary place, and there he weeps in brokenness before the God of his fathers. And you know what that is? That's the power of conviction. You know what we call it in the kingdom of God? We call it godly sorrow. I thank God for godly sorrow. If it weren't for godly sorrow, I could not be a pastor because I've failed and sinned and made all kinds of mistakes. But because of the grace of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, it didn't drive me away from God, but it brought me back to God. And there's that prayer of Jesus right there. Because Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I'm going, I have prayed for you. You're going to be tried. The enemy's going to sift you. And you're going to seem like you're on the very edge of giving up. But at that moment, you're going to awaken. And when you awaken, you're going to come back. You're going to come out of that stupor that you've been in for these several hours or days or whatever length of time that you might be in this moment. He said, and when you come back, when you return, when it's all said and done. You're going to strengthen your brethren. When you follow the narrative, and I'm going to close in just a few minutes, but this is too good to close. I've got a couple of closing things I've got to make points on here today. When you follow this narrative, we know what takes place on the morrow. We know how that Jesus dies on the cross called Calvary. Come on. Gave his life's blood for us, was buried. Peter reconciles with the other disciples. 
Now they're just following and waiting. They're hiding behind the door because of not knowing what the Roman soldiers, will they search for them as well? Until that day, the day after the Sabbath, there's a knock on the door, and it's Mary and the other women. And do you know what message that Mary and the other women are carrying to the group of disciples? A message that the angel told specifically. And here's what the angel said. He said, he that was dead is risen. He's not here. You know this. Why seek ye the living among the dead? But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Come on, somebody. I feel that. Why is that so important? Because there's a perpetuality attached to it. Come on, when you ran away, God, you couldn't outrun God. When you drifted away and when the enemy got that stronghold in you, it wasn't without God seeing and taking notice. And he's ready to bring you back. He's ready to bring you back. He's just waiting for that moment of your sincere repentance. He knows that Jesus, Jesus knows that he's repented. Tell Peter, I'll go before him in Galilee. We know that there were multiple appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. One in particular bears repeating as I'm getting ready to close. And this one is beside the sea. This is the one that Jesus himself has prepared. Uh, Peter had gone fishing. Remember that? Now, he knows he's resurrected. There's the, the appearance, the Emmaus Road inside the, the, the room. And, and touch me not. Uh, a spirit is not flesh and bone as you see that me have. And, and so he knows he's alive. But Jesus is coming and going at that time. And so in the absence of Jesus, Peter reverts to what he's always known. He goes back to fishing. And so while fishing, they toiled all night, not caught anything. Finally, a man on the shore said, hey, cast your net on the other side, and you'll make a catch. And when they did, all of a sudden, they took this great draught of fish, and one of them looked, and they said, wait a minute, that's not just anybody watching from the shore, but that's Jesus and Peter is so in a haste to get to Jesus, he doesn't wait to get the net in. He, does, he doesn't care about that harvest at that moment. He doesn't wait to get the boat to shore. He just dives right in and swims to the shore so he can be the first to wrap his arms around his Savior and his Redeemer. And so they get to the shore and they find Jesus has prepared a meal. And in the preparation of that meal... As they're eating and enjoying it, Jesus takes this a little bit farther with Peter. And he says, Simon Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, you know I love you. Remember the threefold trial, threefold question. If you study it out in the Greek, oddly enough, you'll find that there are two words for love that's actually recorded there. Twice Jesus asked this word, Simon Peter, filio me. Filial means to love like a friend. Twice, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. The third time, Peter's starting to get agitated just a little bit. His personality is starting to even show itself with Jesus. But this time, Jesus says to him, Simon Peter, agape me. Do you have the God kind of love? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Now, why would I say this? Let me close with this here today. I said, first, Peter had a trial. Second, there was Jesus' prayer. 
But third, third, I got to get my fingers working together. Do y'all like it when somebody says three reasons? <laughs> three things: a perpetual promise. What's that mean? Why a perpetual promise? What is that? He said, when you come back, you're going to strengthen my brethren. Now, when you read that, read that, all you think about is those other 11 disciples. I put this passage on the screen. Let's walk. This is from the pen of the apostle that day, who's a disciple at that time but becomes an apostle. Let's just read it. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Second, let's just read it. It's 11 verses in closing. Feed the flock of God. Wait a minute, Pastor Brown, why is this a perpetual promise? Because Peter's life didn't just strengthen following his resurrection Jesus' resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life, and he began to minister. He didn't just strengthen those 11, but he wrote an epistle under the anointing of God that continues to strengthen our lives today. He said, I was an eyewitness of his sufferings, and I'm going to be a partaker of his glory. I can't tell you the times that I've turned to this passage I can't tell you the times that I've turned to 1 Peter chapter number 3 and said, Lord, make me as the oracles of God. This passage is not being lords over God's heritage, but be an example to the flock. Verse number 4, because I want to take you to one place. And, just, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you're going to receive a crown of glory. What an encouragement that is to us. The way that Jesus rescued Peter, he rescues us. He's the promise. A crown of glory, and it will not fade away. Let's read it down the fifth verse. You younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Come on, that's a great place to say amen. Everybody that's slightly older. Man, what will, do, what will that happen in the millennial church? Come on. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. Let's go a little bit farther. Humble yourselves. Come on, under the mighty hand of God. This is Peter speaking to us, continuing to strengthen the brethren of Christ 2,000 years later. Because when God brings you back, he brings you all the way back. Verse number 7, casting all your care. Come on, have you ever done that? That's what that altar was about a few moments ago. Jojo says it many times, cast your cares. Cast your cares. Where does he get that from? Because the apostle Peter cast all of his remorse and sorrow on Christ when he went out and wept bitter tears. But look at this eighth verse. Be sober. Come on now, feel the Holy Ghost right there. Be vigilant. Because why can Peter write that? Why can he write that with such a sharp certainty in his pen? Because he could remember when the adversary walked in and around his life looking for a stronghold, looking for a place to get a hold of and agitating to the degree that he would turn away from God. And now he tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Thank God for verse number 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions. Come on, you're not in this alone. Come on, Shane, join me as we close today. You're not in this alone. 
The same thing. Others are going through things similar to what you're going through. But God is faithful. Verse number 10. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory through Christ Jesus, after, are y'all reading that with me? After you have suffered a while, he's going to make you perfect. He's going to establish you. Do you see that word strengthen up there? That's the same word that Jesus said to Peter in the room where he ate the meal with his disciples and warned him of the attack of the enemy and the plot of the enemy. Strengthen you and settle you. And we'll close on the 11th verse. To him, look at Peter, to him be glory, dominion, Forever and ever, amen. Thank God today for Jesus. So today, Peter faced a trial. Jesus prayed a prayer, but he gave a perpetual promise. That is, you would strengthen your brethren. Peter's experience is still strengthening us today, isn't it? We're still being encouraged. Every time you face a trial... And you, in your spirit, you say, wait just a minute. This is my adversary, the devil. And he's trying to get a stronghold in my life. You can thank God for a man called Peter who gave us the example in that garden or in that room 2,000 years ago. Thank God for his word today. I feel in my heart. I want to ask you. Here's what I feel like we need to do. There's a couple things that have to be done for closing this sermon out. We've already had an altar service. I know that. But we're going to have one more. We're going to have one more here today. Because I know there's, there's one in particular that's made a commitment to God, wants to, to do something here on the altar today, leave something there. And I want to honor that today. But if I can say anything to you as your pastor today, thank God for the word of God today. Thank God for his word. Because we can read this account today and it's like we were seated right there beside Simon 2,000 years ago. Hearing the Lord's voice. Learning of Satan's scheme and his attack to try to agitate us. As I close to bring you to the altar, let me just say, let me remind you. It's your disappointment with God that can create, if you're not careful, the place where the enemy gets his stronghold. That's what happened with Peter. But he promised us, if we'll suffer and endure, God will bring us through it. Right? That's what I want to encourage you. It's when the world around you so shifts and you find yourself suffering that you find yourself disappointed. Come on, I know people. I know Right, but let's be honest, that's where we're at. That's where many of us have been at many times. And the enemy comes to us at that moment, in that moment of vulnerability, to agitate something inside of us, to sift us like a sieve until we will turn and be exasperated with God. I'm telling you, that's not God's will for your life. Be like Peter. Turn to him with all your heart. If you have to weep bitter tears, then weep bitter tears. 
But let God break your heart. He'll keep you. He'll take you through it. He'll walk right with you in that suffering that you're going through right now. He will. He'll be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He'll watch you. And at his timing and in his way, he'll turn things around for God's glory and your good. I do believe that. Would y'all stand up with me today? Here's my prayer. Here's what I ask you to do. I'm going to open the altar because I know of one in particular, but here's what I want to ask you.